As we prepare to hear God's word read and proclaimed, let us pray for illumination. Holy One, your word is a lamp to our feet. Give us grace to receive your truth in faith and strength to follow you on the good path you set before us. In Christ, amen. Our scripture reading comes from the Gospel of Luke. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They said, Is not this Joseph's son? He said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Doctor, cure yourself. And you will say, Do hear also in your hometown the things we have heard you did at Capernaum. And he said, Truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up for three years and six months. And there was a severe famine over all the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them, except to a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. There were also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up, drove him out of the town, and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. Holy wisdom, holy word. Will you pray with me? God, we are grateful for the wisdom of your word, for its challenges, its comforts, its grace and love. Startle us now with your truth, and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your sight. For you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I wonder if you have noticed this, that the people closest to you are often the least likely to want your advice. (laughs) Your kids follow their teachers and coaches' instructions much more quickly than they want to follow yours. Your young adult son or daughter does not want your advice about who to date. Aging parents would rather not have your guidance on where to live or what kind of help they should have. 
And your spouse, your spouse probably doesn't want your advice on anything. <laughs> Age-old leadership advice says that the best way to get someone to do something is to make them think it was their own idea. And we see evidence of that all over the place. The bad news about today's sermon is that I am not going to tell you how to fix any of this because I do not know how. But I do have a Bible story to tell you about this idea. And the story gives us some things to think about in our own lives and also as a church. The story is about what happens when Jesus teaches in the synagogue in his own hometown among people who know him. We find in this story good news, the comforting idea that you have not been doing anything wrong, for it is a truism that people closest to you often do not want your advice, and that is true even if you are Jesus Christ. So let's start by setting up this story with a little bit of historical context. In the centuries that lead up to the lifetime of Jesus on earth, Judaism goes through something of a change. You may remember that the early books of the Bible include a bunch of laws that involve ritual sacrifice as a central part of Jewish life. And the most of those sacrifices were brought first to the Ark of the Covenant as it moved around in a tent with a nomadic people, and then eventually to the permanent home of the Ark in the temple that was built by King Solomon in Jerusalem. But in 587 BC, Jerusalem is sacked and the temple is destroyed, and that is the beginning of a dispersal of Jewish people to live in a variety of other places. The temple would soon be rebuilt, but this is the beginning of what you might call the age of the synagogue. And unlike the ark or the temple in a central location, synagogues were like satellite locations for worship, and they were found anywhere you had at least 10 people, 10 men I'm afraid, who met together to study a scroll containing the Holy Scriptures. At this point, Judaism shifts somewhat away from the centrality of sacrifice and toward an emphasis on study. And any male who had come of age was permitted to read the Scriptures in the synagogue and discuss their meaning. And this is what's going on when, in this morning's story, Jesus visits Nazareth and goes, as it says was his custom, to the synagogue. So that's the general background, and going into this story, here we see that the people have gathered in the synagogue for study. The time is upon them, and they come to Jesus, their guest, and hand to him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. Jesus opens it to the place where he chooses to read, and he reads this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, 
to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It is a beautiful, poetic, important message encouraging healing and justice and renewal. And Jesus rolls up the scroll and says to the people, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Let's discuss. Now at first things are going fine. The study begins and people are saying things to each other like, What a great selection for today's study. This carpenter's son turned rabbi sure is doing a fine job. It's so nice to have him home for the weekend. And then the trouble starts. The trouble starts because Jesus, who is a keen observer of human nature, he knows the next turn that this conversation is going to take. And he beats them to it. Jesus knows that the study group, somebody within it is about to quote to him a proverb. One of them is going to say, Doctor, cure yourself. And another is going to say something to Jesus like, Jesus, we've heard about what you were doing in Capernaum with all of that wonderful teaching and healing and working of miracles. Do the same thing here in your hometown. It is, as, it is as if they are hearing the scripture he has read, and they are saying to him, Okay, Jesus, you want justice and good news for the hurting people of Nazareth? Start with the man in the mirror and get to work. But then Jesus says, Well, thank you very much, but I'm just visiting. The suffering people of this town need you to get to work, and you know it. Now, the hometown guys don't really like being challenged in this way, and they begin to shift in their seats and mutter, but Jesus, who doesn't mind pushing people's buttons when he needs to speak the truth, Jesus doubles down on his challenge. Jesus references two other scriptures. One is about the prophet Elijah and the other about the prophet Elisha. And both stories are about the same idea. In both of these stories, Jesus references God sends help not to people who already know the law and not, not, not to people who already know the law and are just choosing to ignore it. But instead, in these stories, God sends help to people who are outside of the faith and could use good news of hope. God does that over and over again, even when the people are supposed to be our enemies. And as for the insiders, like the people Jesus is talking to, God often seems to ignore them but only because they've already got the truth right there in the scriptures. They're just choosing not to listen. Well, the people in the Nazareth synagogue don't like this at all. 
And in fact, it is at this moment that they run Jesus out of the synagogue and across to the edge of town, and they prepare to throw him off a cliff. And in a conclusion to the story that I think is just brilliant, the only miracle Jesus is going to work in this story is to pass through the midst of them as he went on his way. Which is to say that as, as they are about to throw him off of the cliff, Jesus disappears. And the angry people are left in disbelief. This young man they had just concluded was worthless enough to put to death was in fact God in their own presence. But now he is gone. They've still got the synagogue and the scriptures telling them what they're supposed to do. And now they're really going to have to get to work. There are lots of applications to this story. I could offer many specific examples. It's true in churches all over the place that the criticisms are many and people don't like hearing them. I can think of plenty of critiques I could level at the congregation of my own childhood, even though I love the place. And I can imagine the people who would want to run me out of town. And to the extent that Knox is home for me after almost 10 years, I can think of plenty of crit criticisms I have of this place, things that you may not want to hear. And there is nothing unique about my childhood church or Knox in this respect. All pastors can think of criticisms of their congregation, and all of us know that they will not be welcomed in fact, it is a well-known practice in ministry that occasionally you invite a guest preacher to say something to your congregation that you know they don't want to hear from you. <laughs> On the other side of today's Bible story, though, the comparison is not as straightforward. For while a congregation is a congregation is a congregation, no pastor is Jesus Christ. And so, if any of you responded to my critiques by quoting me a proverb, Dr. Heal Yourself, I would no doubt need to accept that advice from you. In every congregation, the verse Jesus quoted in Nazareth is true. We are often too lulled into comfort and complacency and self-preservation in our religious life together. And we have forgotten Isaiah's prophetic word that we are here to bring good news to the poor and to let the oppressed go free. And the pastor usually needs to hear those words just as much as anyone else, often more than the congregation. These are truths about the life of the church. And as much as they may sting, the truths that sting harder are not the ones about our church, but about our individual lives. Most of us know the things we ought to change about our lives, and we just don't want to change them. So we hate it the most when someone we love, someone who knows us well, 
points out something that we already know and just don't want to talk about. I wonder what that might be for you today. There's beauty, though, to be found in seeing ourselves on both sides of this exchange between Jesus and the people in his hometown. For sometimes, yes, we are on the receiving end of advice or critiques we do not want to talk about. But other times, we are the ones giving the advice, and when that happens, when we wish to speak the truth to someone close to us, it is usually because we love them, and we want good things for them. And remembering that when advice comes our way, remembering the way that that feels when advice is coming our way, we might become more gracious in hearing a critique of ourselves. But much more importantly, today's story might allow a deeper truth to work on us. That the truth Jesus speaks from the prophet Isaiah is truth that everyone needs to hear. It's truth we need to hear so that we can ask how its beauty is alive in our own lives and how it might grow and grow if we pay attention. Jesus speaks truth to the people in the synagogue because he wants greater love and justice and joy for them. He wants the same for you and for me and for all of us together. Jesus wants us to have the personal joy that is found in justice and service to others. And so listen once more to Christ's teaching today as I read it to you slowly. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And knowing that I can add nothing to the wisdom of Jesus himself, I leave you with the challenge he gave to the people in his own hometown. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Amen.